You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, kind of taking a look at a historical aspect of finance, which is something we do periodically. For those of you that don't know, not too long ago, Cedric Phillips tweeted out, Hey, I'm stepping away from coverage. Uh, kind of like having a little bit of a crisis, and shortly thereafter, Star City said, Hey, uh, kind of good timing that he did that because we're getting rid of coverage too. Yeah. So, Kind of one of the hidden factors of finance, coverage. What it's meant throughout time, how it's evolving. Yep. Uh, Reptar did a bunch of research on this because he's a rock star. So I'll let him take it away. Uh, so the one thing I want to say up top is that there's two sides to coverage for MTG Finance. And what we're going to cover today is from the, the player and non-event holding vendor perspective. Somebody like Star City or TCG player when they're running their event circuit and they create their closed ecosystem, their coverage is more of a marketing vehicle than anything else. And that impacts not only their sales on-prem, but uh, sales for everybody else. So we're just kind of taking a look at this from just the, the player and at outside vendor perspective. And we're going all the way back. So the first thing I did was I tried to find out like when was the first time we had video coverage of Pro Tours and we have um, this is something I knew off the top of my head. Video coverage from Pro Tour Boat, quote unquote, onwards. So that, I think that's Pro Tour two or three. Yeah, because the first one was just held in a brick building, and it was difficult to source. As in the heyday prior to the year two thousand, the videos seem not to be hosted by Watsi publicly. They almost exist in their vault to be released later. I've watched the video of Pro Tour Boat. I've watched Ali Raid, Ali Rod play in that event without sleeves or with penny sleeves. Yeah. And that was released by Watsi. Digging <clears throat> in a little further, there's an archive on the Watsi site of uh, a Pro Tour listing from 1997 that goes all the way to 2010. And they were available on ESPN2. Like, that's a smattering of them. And I'll, we'll link that. And I'm also going to link a full list of Magic events that actually aired on ESPN2. I thought it was only Pro Tour New York, and I think the world's in New York, but it's not. They, yeah. they actually went all the way down to Nats on ESPN2 one year. And it's not every event every year, and it's not every Pro Tour, but it's a very interesting set of things. So Worlds was also similarly covered by ESPN. Like I said, though, some events on both sides were more highly anticipated than others, namely the events in New York City, and that's why they stand out, because there was more press and marketing done for those. ESPN truly did allow for the first live viewing of Magic when everything else put forth was text coverage after the fact. Maybe around by around or delivered at end of day, and videos coming well after the fact and hosted on the mothership were very popular. Uh, I had friends that played at regionals, and the only way we found out what was going on was by refreshing the page every 55 minutes to hour to see round standings, and maybe 
if BDM was doing like text coverage because it was a good enough good enough NAT to do so. You know, so when we look at this early era of basically 97 to 2000, video coverage of these events did not do much for Magic Finance for a number of reasons. One is that Inquest magazine was still in existence and seen as a pillar of finance relied upon by most people. If you've ever dabbled in sports or you know anybody that does, they'll tell you all about Beckett. Yep. And that's what Inquest was. Not only did it actually have articles written by some people you know now, Ben Blyweiss used to actually do a puzzle article for them. Yeah, uh, It was basically the de facto price guide. The idea of the online vendor was still in its nascent stage, and thus there were no real centralized locations to purchase from as events were going on. It was all local. And while there were breakout decks throughout this era that would have the potential to affect prices, this was still, again, a very quote-unquote local era of the game, and that set the tone for what people were buying. Not everybody was playing Prosplume. Not everybody was in on uh, Combo Summer and Black Winter. Bannings were also prevalent, and those cards so obscenely powerful that it was less uh, less coverage that impacted finance and more the actions of BNR announcements. You look at things like the Memory Jar ban, and that ripples down into Larian Academy. Now Necro becomes really good, and the Necro deck gets pushed. That's all BNR related. And also importantly is the number of competitive events we saw then pale in comparison to what's coming up in future years. And I think one of the important things about that period especially is, you know, when you, when you talk about Inquest and Scry and those magazines being the basis of it, this this was when the internet was in its infancy. And, like, I remember I started ordering singles mm -hmm. in the early 2000s from the internet. And prior to that, I'd use the Gathering Ground, which was local to me. And I found because of an ad in Scry magazine, because I couldn't Google nearby card shops. So yeah. it was... All of your information was inquest, scry, everything. And they would have, you know, when the Pro Tour happened, here's a top eight deck list dump. And other than that, it was very much like information was shared in your test group yes. or your friends or whatever. And yep. that was it. And I remember, you know, being wowed when I went to a store for the first time and they said, oh, we use Star City Games for our pricing. And I was like, what's that? And, and just had no idea. Yeah because this was just the industry at the time was information was slow mm -hmm. it came out monthly maybe quarterly uh you had some of the decks that you would make weren't even pro tour decks or winning decks it was literally just some dude wrote in a magazine here's a horror themed deck that i made and you were like maybe this is good yeah. i have no idea and go from there and it's interesting that you know, as that coverage kind of evolved, obviously, information delivery changed, and you started to see a little bit of, for me, I noticed the transition from going from this printed price guide to an online price guide as those vendors started advertising more in the print magazines. Okay. I remember seeing my first Star City Games ad in a Duelist magazine, of all things, and being like, what is this place? And then Card Kingdom shortly thereafter, and I was like, oh, oh, this has everything. And those were kind of, you know, this was the birth of the Walmart single store was shortly after this, I feel like. Uh, yeah, yeah. For me, yeah. singles, 
purchases didn't really start to happen until I went to college and there was a, a store up here available. And it's not like they weren't in New Jersey. And it's not like I wasn't attempting to play competitively. Uh, and it's not like I was any less stressed, strapped for cash when I went to college. But for some reason, I just wasn't really looking to purchase singles for competitive play. I There, there was the ability to purchase stuff uh, online, but it, it was limited. And I didn't really find any large vendors until 2003, 2004. Like, I actually had articles published on Star City before I really started buying singles online. Uh, so for me, it was a weird time overall. And the idea of using a website as a price guide came because I, I moved and I didn't want to continue a subscription to Inquest. Yeah. So it just became the the de facto who are you looking at. And I remember Card Hoss, but this is in a couple of years, like 2003 down the line. And I was I couldn't remember the name of it. It's just lost to the sands of time. There used to be this kind of wonky aggregate site, like unlike TCG Player and more like Google Shopping, where you could just see search for cards. Like the reason I own uh, lackeys and I bought them for like pennies on the dollar is because I was get sourcing them from around weird sites on the internet, thanks to this aggregate place to play Legacy locally. And this is in the back in the days of like two hundred dollar sapphires. Like, oh. so this is this is forever ago, and it was like pulling teeth to try and get competitive cards I needed to play locally. But we're also talking about a time, and I'll, I'll we'll come up on this in the next section where uh, pre-releases were regional. Oh god! So yeah. every those were amazing. So every three months, I'm going down to Boston, and I just push everything i have there to vendors and i pick up everything i need to continue playing there i don't have to really worry that much about bringing stuff in unless there's an event i'm prepping for and i don't have the ability to get to a large vendor that that's the lackey story that's not the how i turned four sinkholes into force of wills that's a regional story yeah so what changes for finance prior to the streaming era is a combination of a couple things there's an increased number of events around the globe. Like I mentioned earlier, what we were getting prior in this 97 to 2000 era is very light. Pro Tours are still happening as we expect them to. We went from three a year for like the first couple of years to four a year, but we were light on Grand Prix and nobody else was running large events. We have increased coverage of these events, text and otherwise. There's an increase in the number of online vendors, like we just talked about, and the majority of these vendors also have written content, which is huge. So all this combined makes information more readily accessible to the magic playing community on the whole. It's not just Usenet and like the corners of the internet, like the dojo. As people prepare for large weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly events, like states, regionals, nationals, Grand Prix trials, Pro Tour qualifiers and Grand Prix themselves, they are now inundated with content about the given formats for the event and can leverage that to swap decks from week to week and purchase cards from a myriad of stores. We'll begin to see this impact at large events like Nats, Worlds, Grand Prix, and PTs as text coverage for these events rolls in all weekend and people look to gain an edge for their next big event most likely the following weekend. And this runs from about 2002 to 2010. And one of the big changes here that, because this was when I was like actively grinding and playing yes. a lot. 
uh, this was when you started to see online aggregate sites pop up, not just for pricing, but for deck lists where like top eight, net deck, all these kind of places were like, we're sourcing not just big events like these Grand Prix. We're sourcing stuff from overseas. We're getting European monthlies yep. that stores are running because this is when your LGS started to kind of say, hey, if there's these big tournaments going on, but they only happen every three months or so, there's obviously a market for them. Maybe we could do it on a slightly smaller scale, bigger than the regional pre-releases, and try to get it to work. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to see, again, information, flow of money, same thing. Yes. Uh, you start to see this information become a lot more instantaneous, and the hive mind shows up. And interestingly, this is the first time I remember spoilers impacting finance, because I remember oh. being glued to MTG Salvation. Yep. Uh, waiting for the newest spoiler every time a set got announced. Okay. I specifically remember Zendikar and Rankard Elf, rest his soul. He's still alive, probably, but his internet, along with all of our avatars on MTG Salvation, rest in peace. I remember Rankard Elf dropping these riddles on MTG Salvation, and they quickly became some of the most hyped, like, threads, cards, whatever in the set. And you finally had what we now know as just the day-to-day -day yeah. because we've been in spoiler season for like two years straight now because of all the releases. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a spoiler season where you knew, all right, man, I got to start paying attention because some card's going to get spoiled that's going to be busted with something before it, and then I'm going to have to deal with having to pick that card up or having it ready for the pre-release. Yep. And that's, you know... This, this, to me, is the era that really formed in... This This was the most important financial era for the economy that exists today. Was this mid-aughts, like, explosion of the game. Yeah. You know, as, as much as it's exploded in popularity in recent years, this was the first time where I remember having people from other countries that I could have a conversation with without using words... Because we had this global game that we played together. Mm -hmm. And that that was, you know, mind-opening to me because all of a sudden, okay, well, if I know these people, this is when arbitrage starts. Yeah. I specifically remember uh, there was this guy who, when I was helping to run Ogres, came up, lived in Brazil, asked Ogre if he could source some cards to take back to Brazil because they were so expensive because of the tariffs. So he would check in his suitcase cases of sealed product yes, yeah. and take them back to Brazil. And that was another, you know, here's an opportunity that didn't exist mm -hmm. 10 years ago because you didn't have this instant information, this kind of networking that you do all of a sudden. And that's become one of the biggest financial opportunities in the world now is, you know, when Volcanic spiked uh, two years ago, that was a Chinese virus that did that. When Solitude is on a buy list this weekend at SCG Con for $52 uh, at one vendor and 50 at another, it's because of an international buy list, which is probably one of the most influential factors on MG Finance today is the international arbitrage opportunity. Yep. Shortly towards the end of this is when I started hearing the crackling idea of if somebody could actually begin trend tracking the movement of particularly power across the yeah. globe there was money to be made every year when the cycle just came round again because you would just yeah. buy in, in the dip 
and it's really, like you said, the first time <clears throat> I'd begun hearing about that arbitrage. It's not like opportunities were limited, but you really weren't seeing the expansion of markets in the APAC region, so you were mainly shipping that to Japan. It wasn't Australia, yeah. it wasn't China, it wasn't Korea, Russia, it was Japan. Then Japan would send it through Europe, and then it would move west to east across Europe and eventually come back over the Atlantic into the U.S., and you could do yeah. that. One For me, one of the most interesting parts of this era is that there's this market period, and I think it's somewhere around 2004, where almost every event that WotC had video coverage of, or at, and four is available on YouTube. 2002 mm -hmm. and 2003 are this very muddy set of years where not everything is available, but I know it was made available at one point in time. I had every single round's coverage for Worlds 2003 downloaded because I was playing most of those decks either in standard or extended at, the, at a given time, and I just wanted to watch high-level play. Yeah. And so I know they're there. They're just not on YouTube for some reason. But yeah. this is like that market change where you can just see coverage from Watsi take off. And I think the one thing I want to impress on before we move through is that that list of events that I rattled off are all competitive REL events. States, regionals, Nats lead to yep. worlds. Grand Prix trials lead to Grand Prix because you could grind your buys there. Pro Tour qualifiers, like Grand Prix, could get you buys into Pro Tours themselves. These are all competitive events that happen throughout the year. States, states, regionals, nationals were only once. Grand Prix trials and Pro Tour qualifiers were generally once a month at a minimum, and they were for the upcoming Grand Prix anywhere. You didn't have, yeah. it wasn't tied to reg, uh, regionality. A store could just run a GPT or a PTQ if they wanted. And these were all day events. When we talk about the old way or the old style of events, these are eight round events. Yeah, like, with a cut. Yeah, at an, not at an LGS, but run by an LGS at yeah. competitive uh, level. And so this was a real push where people began looking at the game more competitively and they didn't have to strive for worlds they didn't have to strive for a pro tour but it gave a lot of people something to do more than just grind fnm mindlessly yeah so coming out of 2010 what happens next is the explosion of magic content to twitch and the star city games tournament series picks up from local 5 and 10ks to a national event series airing most weekends i did think about including the tcg events that were in here but like they were it, they weren't localized, but they felt hyper-localized for yeah. some reason. But that was also going on in here. On any given non-Pro Tour, non-set release weekend, you could tune in to WotC coverage of a Grand Prix or Star City coverage of their series because Star City was running their events on the same weekends on the opposite coast. That was the bargain they struck with WotC. And it's yep. here that MTG Finance begins to move in almost real time. Prior, it was pretty much all reactional because it was all delayed. Very little was actually streaming through. This amount of coverage also pushes an almost false narrative that FNM is a competitive event and demands the same kind of competitive edge that one needs at actual competitive events. ELO was prior to the Planeswalker point system, but neither of them do anything to lessen this idea that FNM is competitive, but rather continue to propagate it, and a lot of uh, MPG finance turns into getting an edge for FNM. Buying and selling during a week to ensure you have the newest tech, 
bolstering your trade binder and letting the local backpacker operate as a nested store inside the LGS are all things that go on in this era. We see cards moving during rounds of Pro Tours and towards the later rounds of SCG events. Financial sites are sending correspondents to events to track what's being played and how decks are doing to help their subscribers get ahead of demand. It's a wild, wild time. Format focus at Grand Prix, Pro Tours, and Star City Games events also creates a space for MTG Finance, allowing for specialization and truly leaning into the reserve list as a financial vehicle, be it for short-term or long-term gains. Due to continued visibility, sadly, Star City Games put financial pressure on duels, and in 2017, the idea of the first $500 duel land became a reality. This was huge in circles that I was in where people were just curious, was it going to be UC or was it going to be Valk? But it was all Star City that did this because of their tournament series and the spotlight they put on Legacy. Coverage had finally cemented long-term growth of cards, and there was no looking back. The Mono Drain open couldn't do it uh the stacks exchange uh, stack exchange or whatever it is out yeah. uh it is in long island those guys yeah. couldn't do it whatever was happening in northern california at the time they couldn't do it it was all written coverage quarterly maybe they just couldn't really cement this star city did in time as coverage levels continued to grow across events in streams vods on on YouTube, just content there in general, we begin to live in what is effectively a 24-hour finance cycle whereby cards could take off overnight as players around the globe were playing and streaming 24 hours a day. That happened today. Aspiring Spike put out a tweet yeah. a couple of hours ago about an affinity list they're playing. And sure enough, one random uncommon just started getting bought out on, on Twitter. It's this 24-hour cycle. It's it's just like the news. But the last piece of the puzzle for coverage affecting all aspects of finance, and this is in my opinion, was when Star City introduced constructed opens on set-released weekends. While this is most definitely a play on their part to create a closed ecosystem where they can pre-sell nigh-infinite cards for picking up at their events, it also demands people tune in to see what competitive players are doing in order to prepare for FNM. Along with those players are financiers looking for, you know, the next big thing to swing into and eventually out of uh, out of either in-person or at local events or in any day trader style. Sorry, move into and swing out of uh, in either in-person at local events or day trader style. And the idea of the backpackers continue to be perpetuated. It allows almost everybody to backpack. So Within the span of about a decade and a half, we see coverage move from an almost entirely print fashion with finance driven mainly by local forces and supported by Inquest magazine to a 24-hour deluge with intricate moving parts around the globe. This takes the idea of the backpacker and extends it to a local vendor as you no longer have to rely on large in-region events to move cards in and out of your local ecosystem. You can wash them in the open marketplace now. The removal of video coverage doesn't quite set us back to the dark days of 97 to 2000, whereby we'll have to rely on text coverage only. Instead, independent organizers are still holding events and streaming them when possible. Twitch maintains its presence as is. Yeah, I think, you know, highlighting specifically, you know, mentioning the tweet, uh, 
it's gotten so much more hive mind at this point. Like Reddit, mm -hmm. uh, not just the MTG Finance Reddit, the Spikes Reddit, the Legacy subreddit, yep. any of the Magic all subreddits, can at any point recognize something and all of a sudden a card takes off. Yep. It's almost like you could be stuck with analysis paralysis because of how overwhelming the information has gotten. You know, it's not just MTG Goldfish. It's not just, you know, whatever Commander EDH content you listen to. It's not just The Professor. It's all over the place. And it's a changing in coverage. And I think that what we'll see is, as you mentioned, these independent organizers are going to start coming in and try to see if they can make something out of their video coverage. Uh, NRG was doing video coverage for their series. They just started. Uh, and from what I'd seen, it was going very well. Mm -hmm. um, it's just shifted things. So now instead of having one to two to three sites where you can go to, you have a thousand. Yep. Or in the case of Twitch, one site with a thousand personalities that you can go to. You know, it's not just your pros. It's stuff like Nummy and people like that that have this sway with an audience there that occasionally something just pops off. And, you know, gone are the days of, you know, feline winning the Seattle Star City with high tide. And as you mentioned, being able to arbitrage from one seller to the other. Oh, man, like t candelabras are only 300 on eBay, but they're 500 buy list on Star City right now because they just updated it this mm -hmm. round. Great. I'm going to ship them. Oh, man. They're selling on eBay for $800 now, but they're only 600 on Star City. I'm going to buy those and ship them once they're in hand. Oh, now the buy list is even higher. Or being the backpacker there, knowing what's going on, putting in your order ahead of yep. time and bringing them back to your locals to move there. Yeah. Uh, it, interestingly, interesting that you mentioned that. I don't know if you recall. It was, I think, 2018. I mentioned in the Cabal Discord, I was like, hey, I got a buddy at the Pro Tour. He says, buy Vengevines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the modern GP where Vengevine was everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. But hadn't really taken off until that weekend. And then lo and behold, Monday and Tuesday come, and all of a sudden, this coverage is up. Everyone's buying Vengevines. And having that guy, you know, that edge. And that's kind of where it's led us to now, is almost this, like, you've got to be as lucky as you are good. It's the 24-hour news cycle, but for Magic Finance. First to market... Yeah. People want to be first to market with what they're doing, and it doesn't create a dangerous scenario like you, you can have with a news outlet. It just means that you're going to be behind the curve and you miss you know, the quick flip yeah. on something. It, it's not damning. It's not devastating. It just means that you, know, you can relax for a little bit and try and get ahead on the next one. Yeah. Yeah, which, it, God, we cannot stress this enough. Give up on FOMO. If you miss out, it's okay. It's get the yeah. next one. Stop. Yeah, it, it, it's cool. The yeah. this whatever dreadnought or whatever the uncommon is the uncommon boat uh, from yeah. Ixalan that has nothing but reminder text for crew. Like if that if that goes up to a dollar, you don't need to worry about it. I I don't think it's gonna last. You don't uh -oh. always have to be reactionary. You can be proactive, and it'll work out for you in the long run too. It's all about where you. So you're focus. saying my Sarkins and ceilings will pay off in dividends, buddy. <laughs> maybe it's a halloween costume you never know there we go <laughs> you bring your sunbirds i'll bring oh my yeah sunbirds. yeah i can wear those uh what do i have what's the other one biome hmm, no simic ascendancies yes those are those are also classic yes yeah there's a, a a good move uh for about 10 minutes and then 
<laughs> it got a little rough. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know. It, it's weird to see how areas of finance worked. And I, th- I think spoiler season is going to be the most interesting thing moving forward no matter what. We, yeah. What we're seeing now with spoiler season and the amount of people getting these cards for release at all these different times, it, it, it was happening before but on a much smaller scale because there weren't that many content creators. No. Watsy still gave cards out to be written about in articles for these various outlets, and so they did. But now you have all these people on Twitch doing odds and ends, and so they're going to send out gifts and things like that. And, you know, thank you for playing an arena, you know, spending your money on gems. Here's uh, a preview card. And that that's that's fine and good. I think that's just yeah. going to be the the most fast-moving bit of finance now. You don't... The idea of the flip during the during a Pro Tour or during a Star City event... It, it, like, I've done it before. I might do it again. I consider myself lucky to have done well the first time. Yeah. Uh, no. Yes. The second time was a flop. The third time was a, a success. Yeah. And I don't think that track record is going to hold. I think the more you t- you want to try and operate like that, the more you're playing the odds and you're going to eventually crap out. Yeah, and uh, the, the odds are not in your favor yeah, on that. A, a good example of, of this is going to be looking at Pro Tour Eldritch Moon. And I'm, I'll hang every hat I have on this one. Going into that Pro Tour, everything was a known quantity except the breakout deck. Blue-red Eldrazi with Elder Deep Fiend. That was a one half of Channel Fireball special. Yep. It didn't run the tables. It did really good, but because it was brand new at that Pro Tour and sort of break out, all the pieces started to move. And you know what that yep. was? That ended up being a metagame only deck. You yep. got absolutely hoisted on everything in that deck that wasn't Shivan Reef because it had just yep. been reprinted in Origins prior, I think. And when I look back and I think about the times that I did well, I think about the times that I, th- I could have specced and didn't. And I think that's the way I, I, I want to operate more when it comes to these events. And I think that's fine, and I think that's where you want to be. You wanna, I would want to look for more long-term solutions. I talked early on about changing decks week to week. That wasn't chaotic for finance because there wasn't a lot of online finance. But when you have Goblins winning an extended event and then you have Tinker winning the next one, then Tinker gets banned. So a deck called Dump Truck wins the next one and then Aluren wins the one after that. And you see how this just keeps going and people move from deck to deck. Trying to get in on that financially is devastating. You're always playing keep up or catch up unless yeah. you're in these pro tour circles to know what people are doing and that doesn't exist anymore so i think i'd rather step back from that and look for longer term value and a reduction in coverage doesn't really do much for that because as you mentioned individual circuits are doing their own coverage of formats that i think help with finance that aren't just commander the more yeah. they stick to modern and the more they play legacy that's where I want to be financially because everything in those formats has longer term viability. And 
I think rarely am I going to look at a car that's going that is so popular, so out of place as a spec that it's going to get banned. Yeah, personally, certainly. Yeah, like I had no more than a play set of pods and a play set of twins. That was it, and I had the rug pulled out from underneath me both times. But I wasn't heavily invested in those decks. I was more invested in like affinity, because a lot of those cards were even after a reprinting in Modern Masters, still highly sought after because the deck was just decent. It wasn't oppressive. Rest in peace. Yeah, right? So as the cycle of is Ravager, is Arcbound Ravager good or not comes and goes, I was always able to make hay on that. Aether Vile, similarly, even, even without humans, you were still able to make hay on Aether Vile. Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff I want to be on, like evergreen finance i would kind of want to call it it's not quite riding a rope because i do want to get out uh, in time but i want to kind of ride these eternal formats and operate there i don't really care about this fast finance essentially like i don't want to be the day trader i don't want to swing based on what i'm seeing on twitter what comes up in standard what comes out of the star city it's a deluge like i said and drinking from the fire hose does not always work out well no. so for me when I look at this and I see okay there's going to be a reduction in coverage and we can trace an increase in coverage to an increase in the ability to play MTG Finance here and the ability to make a living off of this as a backpacker that can correspond immediately that downtrend to the reduction in that and as such I want to take a position whereby I'm foundationally sound in finance and I think that's where everybody can now look is if there's a reduction in coverage, then there's going to be the a reduction in, in what goes on financially around this game. Where can I operate? What can I do to better myself and take advantage of a slowdown in coverage? And I, I think that's important because to, to me, this seems like one of the biggest changes in years in terms of its financial ramifications uh and maybe that's the old fuddy-duddy in me but the fact that now we don't have live coverage of the best players with the best decks that instead there is no one spot now even every three months that you can go to even every weekend in the case of star city where you can see a snapshot of what's going on in a format without having to look for the information yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get that snapshot still. You just got to compare like top eight to goldfish to all kinds yeah, of stuff yeah. because the online meta is different than paper, etc. And the fact that now all of this content we're getting is focused on the online meta, which is different than paper in a lot of cases, makes things a little bit more complicated. And I think that this is one of those times where, more than anything, diligence and education are going to be your best friends because we don't have that all of a sudden. Yeah, we we don't have the snapshot where I, as an LGS owner who works forty hours a week and isn't devoting all of that time to Magic, I can tune into the Pro Tour and be like, "Cool, people are probably going to ask for these decks. Let's see what I have." You can't do that yeah. anymore, so you've kind of got to rely on what resources you do have available to you, and that's to me, is a massive change to how things are going to be going forward. Yeah, absolutely. The The addition of one set of resources and the removal of another is going to change things, absolutely. And that, that's a good point, too, is you will be able to get that information. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Picks? 
Yes, right. you went first last yep. week. I'll go this time. That's all you. Uh, my pick is a new rules committee. The end. No, really, I actually do have a pick, but that tweet was ridiculous, and uh, they like quadrupled down. Social contract is dumb. They they quad no they didn't just double down on social contract and they doubled down on rule zero. Yeah. Like, okay. You expect these people to have conversations? No. Oh. All right. So my pick is Drum Bellower from Neon Dynasty Commander. Similar to my Bosaju pick, this is a wait for next Friday, buy it at the bottom. Why Drum Bellower? Well, this card has EDH combo written all over it in addition to just being a good casual card. Uh, obviously, there's an analog that exists in Seedborn Muse, but Seedborn Muse has been printed a whole bunch and is somewhat more difficult to cast being double green in three. Uh, so if you want to look at price history for Seedborn Muse, the last printing was C19. Yes. Uh, which, you know, low was at 10. We're at a valley now of around five. Obviously, you can green sun for Seedborn, which you can't do with Drum Bellower. But Seedborn Muse has been printed a bunch. In terms of floor for this card, you're looking at Seedborn Muse of $5. Mm -hmm. In terms of ceiling, Dockside Extortionist. It's a card that was only printed in a commander set. It's a card that sees play primarily in commander. And is worth, what, 40 50 bucks now? Yeah, especially now that they didn't decided not to ban it. Yeah. Uh, Drum Bellower is a prime combo card. And I anticipate it going into any of the Selesnia decks, any of the mono green, any any deck with you mean white. Mono really. white, yeah, not mono green. Or yeah, mono yeah. white, sorry, mono white, yeah. Uh, anything like that that wants creature combo. So it can be from your casual, you know, Sisse players to your competitive Sisse players. Hell, Silvala loves this card. Yeah. Like, draw cards whatever i get to do it every turn everybody gets to do it every turn it just does it checks so many boxes that for me it hits that cedh ceiling mm -hmm. and that casual edh floor where it does something you want it's efficiently costed and honestly being three mana may actually make an impact in some kind of creature combo deck in legacy well in legacy because it won't be modern legal yeah. in legacy I could see, you know, similar to Mist Hollow Griffin, you know, which occasionally pops up in food chain lists, all of a sudden Drum Bellower shows up in some weird, uh, what was the, Vanifar? The Dude Pod? Yeah, yeah, the Simic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and some kind of fair pod list that's creature-based. Great. This just has a really, really good return opportunity, I think. I'd buy in Friday. I'd probably go 10 to 20 deep just because hey it's a casual card and it's not the kind of thing that i would especially in white see them reprinting ever it's a weird it is definitely weird to put in white because to my in my mind they've only done this twice seedborn muse and prophet of crucifix yeah prophet of crucifix obviously does a lot more than seedborn muse giving your creatures flash and eventually yeah. gets banned in commander which is fine but drum Bellower is just so unique in white i didn't like I didn't even think about creature combo. I just think about this as it allows your creatures to 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 be uh, two way players. Yeah. yeah, which is in its own good enough yeah. because white doesn't have a lot of tricks like no, that. and you can do a lot of really cool things like you said. Like cryptic gateway is a card that gets overlooked. You just have two creatures and you That's get awesome. to drop 
uh, a card from your hand, a creature from your hand that shares a type with both of them. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's so many weird and interesting things that you can do with this card that there's no way it does not see play. And the fact that we both came at this from different angles kind of speaks to that. And Yeah. And, it, and I think timeline-wise, uh, probably, honestly, you're looking at six to eight months on this. If that. You know, this this is a set that, and I said this with my pick of Buseju, uh, when I said, look, you know, this set's going to be open to high hell. Yeah. This set's going to be incredibly popular. I firmly believe it's one of the best sets they've printed in years. Yep. I would expect this to see a very steady rise from, you know, 5 to 10 or whatever to eventually be like Dockside Extortionist. And granted, Dockside's been out for two years no, three years that. at yeah, this point yeah c19 same as seedborn actually um i think that that is maybe long term what you're looking at but fine in the meantime it's not gonna lose value you know if if you're just sitting on it i don't necessarily think it's the worst thing i would say in terms of profitable buy list it might be a little bit longer you might be looking at a year yeah. plus but it's certainly the kind of thing that if you get in on the bottom on release day at that race, I don't think there's any way you lose money on it. I, I just, I don't see it happening. No, this is... Who knows? Yeah, it, this is a, a really good and interesting card to, to pick up on, for sure. Uh, everybody was f uh, fawning over Swift Reconfiguration, the the removal spell, and people did notice Drum Bellower. Like, there's a lot of talk about Drum Bellower, but for all that's going on, this looks underpriced for the amount of conversation there was, for the amount of noise around this card. Uh, hard to say if it would, if I agree really about the Dockside Extortionist comparison, but I understand where you're coming from because Dockside Extortionist just allows you to do so much so early on, and I don't. My view of this card and what it does is way too narrow. I know that. I, I know I'm not viewing this card correctly, so it's hard for me to agree with that assessment. But everything else, I absolutely agree with because I can immediately think of ways to take advantage of what this is doing in a deck that doesn't involve green, so I don't have access to Seedborn Muse. Yeah. Like, and even if it's Seedborn Muse number two, I mean, Seedborn Muse is probably a top 10 creature I want two of, right? Yeah, exactly. So what's the worst that happens? You untap your creatures even more? Yeah. Sure trigger on the stack do a whole bunch more stuff exactly exactly that's what we're talking about uh my pick doesn't quite lean into what you're picking but they do go well together i am choosing finally unnatural growth colorless quad green enchantment from midnight hunt at the beginning of each combat double the power and toughness of each creature you control until end of turn so they do work synergistically uh, this is a card I've actually been watching since, I think, really close to release, maybe even release weekend. October uh, 1st, I put it on my on my list to watch. It was $3.95 uh, on CK's buy list. It's $5.50 now. They're buying the same amount, $50. TCG market was $6.95. They had $99 listed. It is now $4.99, and they have $260 listed. And this is really interesting. This is why I finally picked the card. Well, I'll get to that in a minute, though. So what do you do with Unnatural Growth? Well, you either play Gigantic Generals or Gigantic Creatures. and But how you get there is up to you. So essentially, you're just doing big combat. And Rec doesn't really paint a clear picture on this. 
it is it is what it is like i said it's either big generals like galta and whatever uh this stupid groth grothama is or just big yeah. creatures you're, you're looking to heavy punch somebody out of the game so as far as edh is, is concerned i want to say at the top of this that this triggers at the beginning of each combat right each combat that could be multiple times on your turn as well as your opponent's combat steps and i don't think this is being well explored at all no now it should go without saying this this slots into primarily green decks that require as it requires four green pips and for that you do get the payoff of some of the largest creatures in the game just being in green yeah the top level view of this card is one of a casual nature as edh rex seems to support the idea that the majority of decks to play this are werewolves dinosaurs and dragons which can be casual favorites but as you dig in you can see some aggress aggressively slanted elf builds looking for additional quote-unquote overruns though this is this notably does not give trample compared to overrun and there are also a number of mono green voltron decks as this doesn't target so it gets around shroud you know uh, if you want to play like what is it whisper silk cloak yeah Thrun is your general exactly but Whisper Silk yeah. Cloak just to punch through, that gives your creature a shroud this doesn't target. So as this card is only a few months old, I do expect EDH Rec to clear up a bit as it's currently clouded by commanders from the last few sets. And as we get clarity, I do expect usage to pick up. I think the card is better than it seems. And while the EDH Rec numbers do support this, I don't think we've be even begun to see this card reach the popularity it should. Also of note is that this sees standard play in mono green decks though i'm uncertain how this impacts demand as paper standard seems to be on the outs so thanks wizards yeah so if standard was a thing this might have an even higher price point keep that in mind yeah now well, to talk about timeline again i want to kick this off with talking about the interesting part of this card there's a bit of an issue with the price of this card and there has been from release but it works within uh sorry with for us it works in our favor so again ck was buying this at four dollars in october they're buying at 550 tcg had it at 650 it's now five dollars so this is interesting but we're going to talk about it at the release the open market priced this around buy list and while there is a bit of divergence thereafter at some point in the last few months prior to the release of double feature Buyless prices have risen to the floor of the open market. While we cannot sell immediately for a profit, we can take credit at a healthy profit, removing a fair amount of quantity from the open market. And that's super important. Right? I don't think there's going to be a sudden spike in price on either side of this, but I would expect that if I were to buy in today and didn't immediately churn for credit, that I would see continued growth over the next few months. I would feel comfortable holding for about six months. I do believe there will be an opportunity to get out of this card anytime between now and August, but I wouldn't want to sit on it for any longer than that. This isn't an all-star format banger, and as such, I'd like to churn sooner rather than later. So, again, Bialis sat at CCG low very quietly, 
and still does. And it just seems like people haven't picked up on this yet because there are a number of versions of this card. This did get a full art treatment. This does have a promo. And it just quietly floats along. So this is right now we're in the get in while the getting's good. And when the open market realizes that it's basically priced at buyless, the open market goes up and you've missed out. And CK is going to continue buying this thing. And their price is going to keep moving with the market because this is just a great casual card right now. There will be continued demand. I don't know when that's going to stop, but it is selling well. Again, not a banger. So we'll see. I like this a lot. I know when we were looking at the set originally, I believe both you and I did cite this as like, oh, this is probably going to be one of those EDH cards similar to like, not necessarily Panharmonicon, but similar to that in the sense yeah. that it's probably going to sit there quietly and then start going up. I think one of the things this has maybe probably going for it, honestly, set's not great. No. Like, yeah, there's a lot of sealed products sitting around. Like, my LGS literally has, like, three cases of mid of uh, Midnight Hunt just sitting there. Same with Crimson Bow. Yeah. The sets were not very popular. So there's not necessarily a huge quantity of these. And this thing has to reach a very high point for it to all of a sudden merit opening the boxes. And I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. No. Uh, I think that does lend itself to your argument of churn sooner rather than later because i think the second we hit that point the price tanks and all of it's out again yeah there's that possibility uh, too like right now um double feature is being forced uh there's yeah. people at work on double feature just trying to move the price uh like ck price after for a box after credit is only like 140 on double feature which yeah. is really cheap, so that like, there's going to be some artificial movement on this, and then yeah, the yeah, the bottom could absolutely fall out if you buy too far into the future. The one thing that I did find interesting, you know, this is part to um, like the reprint equity section I've started tacking on is, I've been a fan of the card True Conviction for a while, and this kind of feels like True Conviction. Like, yeah, True Con it does. True Conviction is a six mana white enchantment. It's three double white. Creatures you control have double strike and lifelink, and it's just meant to be this kind of game-winning enchantment, but it's also really difficult to print in an EDH pre-con. Like, yeah. three triple white is really difficult, and you know what? They did reprint it once in the model white EDH deck, and that's how I feel about Unnatural Growth. It's got to be printed in a, like, there's no way just a quote-unquote, like, base green EDH deck that they're going to print can handle a four green pip thing. It's got to be... Yeah in a mono black uh, mono green deck so i don't think we're going to see it for a while until we come back around to that and we we don't know if and when that's going to happen like and i think design wise they've gotten so far away from trying to have mono color identity since it's all tied to sets now yeah you know i i mean we know what sets we have we have streets of rage or whatever you want to call it dominaria brothers war like all of these lend themselves to multicolor. Yep. You know, the only one that might not might be Dominaria. But other than that, they all seem like multicolor-centric sets. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm with you on the reprint equity. It seems pretty low, yeah. unless the list rears its ugly head again. But I don't see them doing that for a card that's been released and printed this recently. No, that's the last point I have to make about reprint equity. You hit it on the nose with that. I, I said the only time I could see this being reprinted in standard is if they need filler for limited. 
and we are in a very green heavy set. That's why it makes yeah. sense in Midnight Hunt because that was the werewolf set. Yeah. Like obviously it's a green and red centric set, so you can afford a four green pip card that satisfies the casual EDH as well as well, it's kind of a limited bomb. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't I don't see it coming around anytime yeah, soon. I, the only thing I couldn't really get a handle of is how many I would want to move on. I've been picking them up over time because they were they sat at four dollars in Kate in yeah. LGS cases for like the better part of two months. And that's like what kept me keep coming back keep coming back to this card to look at like where's the price? Where's the price? Where's the price? we're not moving in the open market, really, we're coming down, but CK's going up. Yeah. Like, all right, then we got to do something about this because if you can still buy at buy a list, then buy at buy a list. Like, yeah. Yeah. It. If you as a as like a schmo, can buy at vendor buy list, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't on just about any card. I, especially a card like this, which has the EDH playability, which has the casual appeal, which has the possibility of just being a true conviction. Where it just gradually keeps going up. Yeah, let me bring that up because I had to search for it. Like, it rockets, reprint, and then comes back up. Like, or not, not yeah. sort of reprint. I don't know why it dipped. Oh, Spellbook Gideon. Okay, that's why it poops out. Bloop, and then yeah. comes back up after Gideon. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> We're going to hold on. We're going to make it. And I think this, this card is good. This is just one of those times where it's like, come in hot and then be ready to exit. Yeah. Exactly. So we're not looking to swing trader. We're looking, like I said, I think about six months, uh, eight months at the most is where I feel comfortable. So. Smart. I think that's going to do it for this week, everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. We should be coming back. Uh, Star City Philly is this weekend, and we're hoping to glean a little bit of insight from that sooner rather than later. So we might have another interview or two coming for you over the next couple of months. Yep. And that'll be really exciting. But outside of that, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you can find the video version of the podcast on YouTube. Audio is anywhere you could download a podcast at this point. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter and learn more about Pioneer Masters and uh, the mistake that was alchemy, you can always poke us at MTG Cabalcast. Otherwise, I, at, I am at Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are... Wishing for a new rules committee and also at Thirsty Sizzler. See you next week.